This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Today, I invite you to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization that utilizes media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and facilitate an encounter with Christ in His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. This is an invitation to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. When our hearts are open, the Lord changes and transforms us so that we in turn begin to share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today is the second Sunday of Easter, Divine Mercy Sunday so designated by St. John Paul II, not long before he died. As a young man, Karl Wojtyla cultivated a devotion to Sister Faustina Kowalska, a young nun who died in Krakow in 1938, had been gifted with extraordinary visions and experiences of the Lord Jesus. I had the privilege when I was filming over in Krakow to visit the convent where uh, Faustina was, and to see actually not far from the quarry where the young John Paul II worked. So I was, I was able to look into that world a bit. The most famous of the visions that Faustina had of Jesus was of the Lord revealing his sacred heart, from which came rays of light, red and white, which she interpreted as a radiating forth of the divine mercy. The pale light, the white light, signified baptism, and the red light signified the Eucharist, the blood of the Eucharist. Now, it struck young Karl Wojtyla and eventually John Paul II as significant that Faustina died on the eve of Poland's crucifixion at the hands of the Nazis, who invaded September 1, 1939, the year after she died. And then the ongoing crucifixion of the Poles by the communists. John Paul, as we know, recognized the 20th century as perhaps the cruelest century in human history. The one most marked by violence, by genocide, by deep hatred. And therefore what? Therefore the century most in need of the divine mercy. And he saw in the visions of Faustina a sign, an indication, that God wanted very specially to bestow on the 20th century his mercy. As we know, as Pope, John Paul was able to make the devotion to Sister Faustina, and of course he canonized her as Saint Faustina, to make the devotion known throughout the world. So now there are people all over the planet who pray this chaplet of the divine mercy, pledging their trust in Jesus. 
And again, John Paul designated this Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, as Divine Mercy Sunday. So what do we mean when we say mercy? Well, the word mercy is an Englishing of misericordia, which designates the suffering of the heart. Core in Latin meaning heart, miseria, suffering. Mercy, therefore, is a type of compassion. That word from cum patior in Latin, which means I suffer with. It's a deep, loving identification with people in their suffering, you might say. That's mercy. It's identical to what the Old Testament authors refer to as God's chesed, or tender mercy. It is, if you want, the characteristic of God, for God is love. Now see, Pope Francis has been very strong in this, hasn't he? As he keeps stressing the divine mercy. as not just one attribute among many, but as the very essence and nature of God. What we say is that the love that obtains among the Trinitarian persons spills over into God's love for the world that he makes. That's God's chesed, his tender mercy, his compassionate love. That's what Faustina saw pouring forth from the heart of Christ. Take a good look at Psalm 118 when you have a chance. Let the house of Israel say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His mercy endures forever. And on and on it goes, Psalm 118. Imagine it being sung back in ancient times. And this refrain repeated over and over again, His mercy, His chesed, His tender love, endures forever. Think of a mother's love for her children. That's maybe the great biblical metaphor. Could you ever imagine a mother becoming indifferent to one of her offspring? Yet, Isaiah says, even if she forgets, it's unthinkable, but even if she forgets, God will never forget his own. Now put that in more philosophical language. Nothing in the world would exist were it not every moment actively willed into being by God. It's a metaphysical truth, right? Nothing in the finite contingent world would exist were it not finally for the causal influence of God. Not just way back when, but I mean from moment to moment. God, who has no need of anything, Nevertheless, from moment to moment, sustains the universe in a great act of tender mercy, a great act of love. Now, here's a famous question raised a lot today, probably in the wake of Pope Francis' great stress on mercy. Is God's mercy opposed to his justice or his truth? Well, I'll keep my philosopher's head on for a minute. Such an opposition would be metaphysically impossible. Why? For God is simple, and therefore all his attributes are identical to his essence, 
and hence to one another. It's a bit of a technical point, but it's an interesting point. So we say that God has a number of attributes. We say God is love, God is mercy, God is justice, God is powerful, God is this and that. But we can't really think of those as separate realities because God in his very essence is simple. God is, is one. God is absolute. And therefore the attributes are really all identical to one another. To use an image I've used before with you, it's like a prism. The white light comes through a prism and then breaks into different colors. Well, see, we see the different divine attributes like the colors that are broken through a prism. But see, in itself, it's all one great white light. You know, the second reading for today makes this point admirably about the coming together of God's mercy and justice. John, as we know, more than really any other New Testament author, consistently sings of the love of God made manifest in Jesus. I mean, he's the great singer of the hymn of the divine mercy. It's John who gives us the unsurpassably great formula that God is love. It's not just something God has or that God does. It's what God is. But now listen, listen now, to make this point about mercy and justice coming together, how is this love made manifest in us? How is it instantiated? Well, John tells us now in this first letter, precisely through following the Lord's commands. Listen now to him. For the love of God is this, that we keep his commandments. In this way, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. See, here's how it works. In his mercy, God wants to share his life with us. But that life is a life of love. That's all it is. And therefore, it issues forth, how, how? Precisely as a command to love. Does that make sense? God's mercy, sharing of his life, will issue forth in us, to us, as a command to love. Without the fulfillment of the command to love, it remains just an abstraction. Oh, I'm not into truth or justice. I'm into mercy. It can't work that way. God's mercy will issue forth as a commandment to love, to be just. But perhaps there's no greater manifestation of the divine mercy than the forgiveness of sins. Our magnificent gospel for today, taken from the 20th chapter of John, lays this truth out with admirable clarity. We're in the upper room with the disciples. Those who had, at the moment of truth, denied, betrayed, and abandoned their master. Fear, and I would say shame, are probably their ruling passions at the moment. Jesus, we are told, then came and stood in their midst. When they saw him, their fear must have intensified. Why? Well, undoubtedly, he's back for some kind of revenge. But instead, he spoke that simple word, shalom, peace, which sums up everything God wanted for his people throughout the Bible. Shalom, it means physical well-being, spiritual well-being. It means, it means uh, everything good at every level. Indeed, the risen Jesus showed his hands and side 
lest they forget what the world and they did to him. But he is not followed with a word of blame or retribution, only with a word of mercy. But then, listen now, the extraordinary commission. The risen Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. In other words, what's happening here? Jesus' mercy is communicated to his disciples who in turn are being sent to communicate it to all the world. And this is the foundation for the sacrament of penance, which has existed in the church from that moment to the present day. How? As the privileged vehicle of the divine mercy. That's it. That's the vehicle, the privileged vehicle of the divine mercy, is the sacrament of penance. When G.K. Chesterton was asked why he became a Catholic, he answered, to have my sins forgiven. See, he recognized this was the greatest grace the church can offer. It's not a burden. It's a grace, the grace of reconciliation, the restoration of the divine friendship, the forgiveness of our sins. But friends, we all know this. How this great sacrament has fallen into disuse I think it might be the central tragedy of the post-conciliar years. Again, not for a second to blame Vatican II, which does nothing to discourage penance. But but the central tragedy, perhaps, of the post-conciliar years is the falling off of this sacrament. Notice, please, Pope Francis has put a huge stress on it, both in, in his hearing of confessions and his going to confession. Remember that dramatic moment in St. Peter's when he left the liturgical procession and he went to a confession box to a startled priest. Pope Francis wants to recover confession, again, not as a burden, but precisely as the privileged expression of the divine mercy. So, you know, I would say, all of you listening to me today, on this Divine Mercy Sunday, revel in the divine mercy, but don't just revel in it. Don't just entertain it intellectually. I'd recommend all of you go to confession. It's the best way to bask in the divine mercy. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. My prayer is that each of us may be on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Friends, holiness is heroism. And we need heroic priests. That's why we partnered with Spirit Jew Studios to create a short film highlighting the demands and joys of the priesthood. Watch the entire film for free and share it with all the young men you know by visiting heroicpriesthood.com.